Our New Testament passage today picks up in James chapter 2. Now, James is kind of like the super practical book in the New Testament. I mean, it's, it's getting right down there and saying, all right, now, folks, this is how you live the Christian life. He starts chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, so he's talking to believers, all right? He's talking to believers. He said, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, what does he mean by show no partiality? He said, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you then not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not sorted the people? In other words, have you not sorted the rich from the poor because you have evil thoughts? You're thinking, you know, we can get more money from the rich person. <laughs> now, brothers and sisters, you just got to get a hold of this verse. There can't be special seating and there can't be special services for the rich and special services for the poor. I remember years ago, I was asked to speak in a church. And they said, oh, your driver has to go to the, the service downstairs and you'll be preaching upstairs to everybody else. I said, why does the driver have to go downstairs? Well, that's for the drivers and the maids. I said, well, that's where I belong because I'm just a driver. And people got really mad at me. But you know what? When you grew up poor, you know what it feels like to be treated like you're poor. And in God's house, nobody gets treated that way. Now, yes, you know, people should dress properly and not sexy and not weird. And, you know, they should wear nice things. You should wear your best. And if your best is a pair of blue jeans and a T-shirt and a pair of slippers, that's fine to come to God's house, okay? But at the same time, you shouldn't be looking at what people wear and making judgments and giving them preferential treatment. Now, th this is like, forgive me, this is like paid concerts, you know? All right, if you pay 10000 you get to sit here in the front seat and meet the, the, the entertainers after the service. And I notice I call them entertainers and not, not ministers, because that's what they are. Now, you don't do things like that. You know, this is why I hate paid concerts. Number one, you don't pay for the gospel. And number two, it sorts God's people. P people should not be treated differently because of the amount of money they have. He said, listen, you've made distinctions among yourselves. You've become judges with evil thoughts. You're, you're thinking about how to get money from people. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world? So God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. All right, now notice a poor person <laughs> loves God. That should be all that's necessary. But there's more to it. A poor person is rich in faith. and they're heirs of the kingdom. Now, I want you just to pause on that rich in faith. I've been your pastor for over 40 years, and we all started out really poor. And you know what I noticed? Poor people know how to pray <laughs> because we don't have money to deal with problems. We only have God to deal with problems. And I've always found that, you know what? If you need somebody to pray for you, get somebody who knows how to pray. And this is what James is saying. They're rich in faith. They have to believe God every day for their needs. These people have faith. 
They have to believe God every day for their healing. They can't afford the fancy doctors. They have to believe God every day for their provision. Now, you know what? You show me a person who has to have faith in God every day. They're rich in faith. Man, I want somebody like that to pray for me. He said, but you have dishonored the poor man. Why? Because you, you made him, you treated him badly. You made him sit in, you know, the poor people's seats. Are not the rich ones the one who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? Wow. Now, you know, folks, forgive me. James is not prejudiced against rich people, but he said the rich oppress and the rich drag to court. Poor people can't afford court. They just have to suffer. The rich drag you into court and the rich blaspheme. He said, now, you know what? You know, you're trying to sip, sip these rich people, but, but look, at, look at how they've treated you. Look at how they've treated you. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well. He said, now, now that's how you're supposed to act. But if you show partiality, now here's that word again. Partiality, partiality. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. All right, so if you if you sort people by here's the 5,000 seats, here's the 3,000 seats, here's the 2,000 seats, here's the 50 peso seats. If you sort people, if you, if you show partiality because of money, you're committing sin. So again, look at this verse. But if you show partiality, if you, if you treat people differently because of their money, you're committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, for most of my life, I've probably been extreme the other way. But there's a few occasions lately that I've had to realize, you know, there are people in our church that have prospered. They started with this poor, and they've prospered. And, you know, because they prospered, I probably ignore them a little bit. <laughs> so sometimes I try to reach out to these people and do some special things for them simply because, you know what? Forgive me, they still don't act rich, all right? But sometimes because I'm too busy wanting to take care of the people of Roma and I'm making sure the poor people have a place in the church, I also need to make sure the people who have prospered among us also have a place. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has been accountable to all. Paul teaches us the same thing. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak... And so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So James is trying to teach what Paul's been teaching, all right? For judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, so judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. All right, do you want mercy? Show mercy. If you want people to show you mercy in life, sow it. And remember, mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, let me just back up. 
last weekend I stood up and I asked you folks, you know, we're so thankful that God caused that typhoon to die. Okay. Thank God that thing died. It was coming in at cat four, cat five from Metro Manila. And it just hit Batani's and dropped a cat one. And we hardly even noticed it here in Metro Manila. But Albai got blasted. And I said, if you'd like to do something, we didn't make a big push, but if you'd like to do something, would you like to know that last weekend, just, just for helping Albai, just for helping the churches in Albai, you sowed over 800,000 pesos in seed to put new roofs on churches that had their roofs destroyed. 800,000 pesos in one weekend. And that, that, was just, that was just what you did to put roofs on churches in Albai. We didn't say... Uh, gee, guys, go enjoy yourself. Love Jesus. No, we said we, we can do something to help out. This is this is what Christianity is supposed to be. All right, this is what faith really is. Okay, you know, if you see somebody in need, you, you do something about it. Okay, so if you see a need, do something. That's what Christianity is all about. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. <laughs> he said, yeah, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You know, most of my life, people have walked up to me and said, Pastor Samar, you don't have faith. And I said, fine. But I said, why don't you walk around here and see what we've seen accomplished by the grace of God in our lives. Why don't you walk around and see? Now, show me what your faith has done, and I'll show you what my faith has done. See, at some point, there are, so, there are people that are so full of their, and I wouldn't even call it faith, I'd call it presumption. And they go around looking at everybody else, putting people down. You know what? Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Some of you, you know, people walk up to you and say, oh, you don't have faith, you don't have faith, you don't have faith, but look at what you've done with your life. Look at how many connect groups that you've opened. Look at the home that you've built for your family. Look at the seed that you've been able to sow to help preach the gospel. Ah. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, now here's a big verse, all right? Demons believe in God. <laughs> in fact, I think demons believe in God more than we do. They have seen the reality of God. They have been into the throne room of God. Do you want to be shown you foolish do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. All right? Notice two key words. Faith is active with works, and faith is completed by works. As the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Paul is teaching, James is teaching the same thing Paul does. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You know, you got to have some, if you have faith, you have works. 
In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Now, two, two great truths there, okay? Two great truths there. Faith without works is dead, but if the spirit leaves the body, the body is also dead. When God takes our breath away, that's literally taking our spirit away. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Then we're going to get into Sister Bed with Ezekiel.
back to Ezekiel. And this morning we have the privilege of starting with chapter 23. We'll read chapter 23 and 24 this morning. And we start off with, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, there were two women. So here we go with another story, but the story is quickly explained. Two women, the daughters of one mother, they played the whore in Egypt. So we're talking about what mother? The mother Israel, the nation, often referred to as the mother, the mother of all that the kings that came from her, the princes, the, the young people, and so on. And the two daughters, we're going to see one is Samaria and the other is Jerusalem. Now, you know from the day of Jesus that there was no love lost between Samaria and Jerusalem. In fact, if you were going to Samaria, you might not be welcome in Jerusalem as far as they were concerned. There was prejudice between the two. And yet, they originally came from Israel, from the same mother. And so it says they played the whore in Egypt. They played the whore in their youth. There their breasts were pressed and their virgin bosoms handled. Ahola was the name of the elder and Aholabah the name of her sister. They became mine. So this is God speaking. They became mine and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Ahola, so that's the elder sister, is Samaria. And Aholabah is Jerusalem. And you know, the first thing that this chapter makes me want to do <laughs> when I read this chapter, again, like some of the chapters, it's a little bit difficult to read. And yet, all scripture is profitable for instruction, for reproof, for righteousness, for correction, all scripture. And so I know that this scripture is good for me. But when I read it, I just want to, I, I want to start singing more than anything in my early morning voice, more than anything. I love you, Jesus, more than anything. Yeah, because that's what it comes down to. We love Jesus and Jesus, I love you. I love you more than myself. I love you more than anything that I do in my life. I love you more than anyone in my life. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I love you more than anything. And if we can remember this, we can remember, we can get the message of this chapter, what it's supposed to be all about, because it's a chapter about idolatry. Idolatry is seen as adultery since we are the Lord's. And so we see that adultery, actually idolatry was also prostitution. Part of idolatry was prostitution. And we see that all of these things played a part in what God had against the people of Israel. Why are you running after other gods? Why are you running after this prostitution? And why are you running after all these other idols, which of course he calls an abomination? So starting in verse 5 starts talking about Samaria or the northern kingdom. Ahola 
played the whore while she was mine. She lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in purples, governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. And you can remember from when we were doing our Isaiah reading, how the people thought about Assyria, right? They thought Assyria was the it country. It was the nation that they were all ooh and ah about. Everybody wanted to learn the Assyrian language. Everybody wanted to uh, have experiences with the Assyrian officers and the people. And they just thought Assyria was, you know, the greener grass on the other side. And yet they found out it was really not. They had such an estimation in their mind of what Assyria was versus what it really was. Of course, it was a, a conquering, terror, terrorizing nation. She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. Wow. It's, you know, I can remember when I was in Bible school, and there was a certain group of girls in the Bible school, and they would do anything for a date. They All they just seemed to really want was to get married. And it just was said of those girls that they will change their theology depending on which guy they're dating at the time. Ouch, girls. <laughs> if you're a young lady, you believe what you believe, and you don't change it because some guy wants to court you and he's so handsome and he's so uh, everything that you think you want. Maybe he's rich, he's famous. And so you change what you believe based on what he believes. But that's basically what these people were doing. Anybody that they lusted after, they would just change their, they would follow this idol and that idol and the other idol, all of which was an abomination because they belonged to the Lord. She did not give up her whoring that she had begun in Egypt. For in her youth, men had lain with her and handled her virgin bosom and poured out their whoring lust upon her. Therefore, I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians, after whom she lusted. Sins of the youth. We often hear in scripture about sins of the youth, and it is said that if you don't conquer the sins of your youth, when you're older, those sins of your youth will conquer you. And I have lived in my few years here on this earth long enough to, to see this, to see this happen over and over, sins of youth coming back and overtaking a person in their life. These uncovered her nakedness, they seized her sons and her daughters, and as for her, they killed her with the sword, and she became a byword among women when judgment had been executed upon her. Her sister, Aholabah, so who's Aholabah? Jerusalem. So we've talked about Samaria, now Jerusalem. Her sister, Aholabah, saw this, and... So you would think that the rest of the sentence is going to say, she saw what happened to Samaria and she got her act together and decided to be a good girl. <laughs> and she decided to serve the Lord, her God. That's not how the sentence ends. Her sister Aholabah saw this 
and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. She lusted after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way. And she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in Vermilion. So now Chaldeans, it's Babylon. So with Jerusalem, they lusted after the Assyrians. In other words, that this is both literally a prostitution and it is generally or or figuratively speaking of their idolatry because they adopted the idols of Assyria and now those of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Wearing belts on their waists with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoring lust. And after she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust. So if you were, I mean, let's just put this in terms, these these portraits, these paintings of these Babylonian officers that would be on rock walls, and they would just, oh, they would drool over them. If you were given a choice of some time with a K-pop or movie star or time with Jesus, which one would you choose? I mean, really, 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 which one would you choose? And your answer will determine what's going to happen to your devotions. When you answer that question, all right, no, I would choose Jesus. Okay, fine. So turn your Netflix off. Turn your streaming off and get with Jesus. Have your devotions. Amen. Because this is what, this is the same question. Who do we want to spend time with? Oh, that guy, he's so handsome. Look at that movie star. Oh, if only I had time with him. Or how about Jesus, the one to whom we belong, the one who shed his blood for us? Would we rather have time with him? Your answer to that, like really, really your heart answer, not your your lips speaking whatever you think is the right answer. Your heart answer will determine what happens to your devotions. Yet, when, of course, when, when she had committed prostitution with them, then she turned in disgust. Wow. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her, as I had turned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt, and she lusted after her lovers there. So we're talking about Assyrians, Babylonians, and Egyptians. Wow, the people of Jerusalem, yes, they were even more more variety in their idols, more in their prostitution than even Samaria. Wow whose members were like those of donkeys and whose issue was like that of horses. 
Then you longed for the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your young breasts. Therefore, Aholabah, who's Aholabah? Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up against you your lovers from whom you have turned in disgust, and I will bring them against you from every side, because we have Assyria from the north, Babylon from the east, and Egypt from the southwest. Behold, I will stir up against you your lovers from whom you have turned in disgust, and I will bring them to you from every side, the Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pekod and Shoah and Koah and all the Assyrians with them, desirable young men, governors and commanders, all of them, officers and men of renown, all of them riding on horses, and they shall come against you from the north. Almost all the conquering armies that ever came against Jerusalem came from the north. And when you're in Jerusalem, you realize that Jerusalem is a city surrounded by mountains and valleys to the other sides and almost that that makes the north their weakest side and or their most their least defensible side and so all the conquering armies came from the north with chariots and wagons and a host of peoples they shall set themselves against you on every side with buckler shield and helmet and I will commit the judgment to them, and they shall judge you according to their judgments. And I will direct my jealousy against you, that they may deal with you in fury. They shall cut off your nose and your ears, and your survivors shall fall by the sword. They shall seize your sons and your daughters, and your survivors shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewels." Thus I will put an end to your lewdness and your whoring begun in the land of Egypt, so that you shall not lift up your eyes to them or remember Egypt any more. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands from whom you turned in disgust, and they shall deal with you in hatred and take away all the fruit of your labor and leave you naked and bare, and the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered. Your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you, because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. You have gone the way of your sister, therefore I will give her cup into your hand. A cup is like the destiny from which you are going to drink. All right, so it's, that's, your, that's your heritage because of what you have been doing. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink your sister's cup that is deep and large. You shall be laughed at and held in derision, for it contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow. Oh, so drunkenness is a judgment. It's a, it's a horrible thing that would come across people. If you are under the judgment of God, <laughs> that's when you give yourself to drunkenness. And drunkenness always leads to sorrow a cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You know, this passage has so many lessons for us. And one of the lessons, young people, and not so young people too, if you give yourself in a sexual relationship with someone because you think your lust is everything and you think that your lust is love, when it's over, the hatred and the disgust will be just as strong as the lust was before. 
And this is what happened to them. And this is what happens. And then who knows, there you are left. Ladies, you're left with a, a child. You're left with bills to pay. You're left with, okay, that's it. You're a single mom now. And he is long gone. And you disgu you're disgusted. You're disgusted with him. You're disgusted with yourself. How could I do this? You know the better thing? More than anything, I love you, Jesus. Put Jesus first. Love Jesus. Love Jesus more than you lust after anything else. Love Jesus and all of the things of this earth will fade away in Jesus' name. Just don't do it. And of course, this is not just talking about the sexual acts, but it's, it's a figurative speech for the idolatry that they would run after. Putting things, putting other things ahead of God. Just don't do it. You shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and tear your breasts, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back. I don't need God. That's what they were saying. You yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. You, th you think you don't need God, huh? You think you can just go your own way. And then there are consequences and God is saying, all right, you'll bear the consequences. The Lord said to me, son of man, Will you judge Ahola and Aholabah? Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery, and they have even offered up to them for food the children whom they have borne to me. Yes, that's how far their lust after these heathen idols went, that they would even offer their own children, children that... God says, they have born unto me. So they were God's children, people of Israel. They had taken those children and offered them in the fire to these heathen idols. Moreover, this they have done to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. How many times have you seen that in God's listing of what disturbs him in the people's habits? It makes you want to set aside one day for the Lord every week of your life. For when they had slaughtered their children in sacrifice to their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. They even sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger was sent. And behold, they came. For them you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it on which you had placed my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her and with men of the common sort, drunkards who were brought from the wilderness, and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said of her who was worn out by adultery, have you ever seen somebody who's just lived a really sinful life? <laughs> I think there's a saying that my husband says from the southern United States, something about um, a horse looking like it had been rode, rode hard and put away wet. <laughs> and it just has to do with the way a person looks 
who has lived a hard life, a life of sin, because you know what? A life of sin is a hard life and it wears you out. It wrinkles you prematurely. It brings you to the grave prematurely. Now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her, for they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Thus they went into Ahola and Aholaba, lewd women, but righteous men shall pass judgment on them with the sentence of adulteresses and with the sentence of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, bring up a vast host against them and make them an object of terror and plunder. And the host shall stone them and cut them down with their swords. They shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses. Thus will I put an end to lewdness in the land, that all women may take warning and not commit lewdness as you have done. And they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. You know, all these phrases, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Then you shall know. Then, really? We have the opportunity right now because of the word of God and because of the presence of God and the goodness and the kindness of God to know right now that he is the Lord God. We've seen his hand at work in our lives. We've seen miracles performed. We have felt the cleansing of the blood of Jesus in our lives. We can know that he is the Lord God. We don't have to wait for judgment. We don't have to wait for something to come upon our lives, the consequence of our sin, before we wake up and know that he is God. Amen? We can know just because of the goodness of God that he is our God. Chapter 24. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day. The king of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar, has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day and utter a parable. So here we go with another parable to the rebellious house. He often calls the country, the nation, the rebellious house, right? Not even calling them by name. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, set on the pot, set it on, pour in water also. Said in it, put in it the pieces of meat. So we're going to have drama, drama again. All the good pieces, the thigh and the shoulder, fill it with choice bones. Take the choicest one of the flock, pile the logs under it, boil it well. Seethe also its bones in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city. Remember that became, unfortunately, the name of Jerusalem at that time to the pot whose corrosion is in it and whose corrosion has not gone out of it. Take out of it piece after piece without making any choice, for the blood she has shed is in her midst. She put it on the bare rocks. She did not pour it out on the ground to cover it with dust. To rouse my wrath, to take vengeance, I have set on the bare rock the blood she has shed, that it may not be covered. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city! I also will make the pile great. Heap on the logs, kindle the fire, boil the meat well, mix in the spices and let the bones be burned up. 
Then set it empty upon the coals, that it may become hot, and its copper may burn, that its uncleanness may be melted in it, its corrosion consumed. She has wearied herself with toil. Its abundant corrosion does not go out of it. Into the fire with its corrosion. On account of your unclean lewdness, because I would have cleansed you, and you were not cleansed from your uncleanness. You shall not be cleansed any more till I have satisfied my fury upon you. I am the Lord. I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back. I will not spare. I will not relent. Is this is this kind of clear? <laughs> how many times in how many ways saying the same thing? According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God. Wow. What a lesson. What a lesson. What does it come down to? More than anything, I love you, Jesus. More than anything. And you can sing, more than anyone, I love you, Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Get into the Word of God. Read your Bible, pray every day, keep your relationship with Jesus alive and well. Love him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And none of these things will be relevant to you because it will just be, oh yeah, they, they prostituted themselves with idols, but you will not because you love Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen? Make it so in Jesus' name. Well, that's our Ezekiel reading for today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us for our morning devotions. We'd love to say see you tonight for our COP online evening service at 7 p.m.